Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? What daily investments are you making? Where do you spend your time, money, and energy? In the end, do you believe the reward will be worth the cost? We're in a sermon series entitled, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. And Pastor Matt's sermon today is all about two eternal investments to keep us going. These two investments are found in 2 Timothy, verses 13 through 18, and they teach us how not to waste our life and how to invest the rest of your life. Let's turn to 2 Timothy and listen in now for your moment of truth. Amen. The Lord is indeed a refuge to His people. He indeed provides His righteousness to His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's remember that. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. And as you're turning there, I was reminded of a, um, a story of when a reporter asked George H. Bush, former president of the United States of America, an amazing question at the end of his life. They said, Mr. President, what have you learned about all that you've seen in life? What sticks out to you? You've seen so much. You've done so much. You've been a part of so much history. What sticks out to you? And he responded with two words, it's quick. That's true. I was uh, in high school when I first read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. How many of you have read it? It's an amazing, amazing book, and he starts at the very beginning in chapter one with this story of his father's ministry. John Piper's dad was an evangelist. He would go uh, city to city with crusades uh, just sharing the gospel. And Piper says as a boy, he, he accompanied his father on one of these crusades where his dad was sharing the gospel. And at the end of one of these crusades, a, a gray-headed man came to Christ. Amazing, wonderful. A, a man came to Christ in his old age. And at the end of the crusade, the crusade was over, many people began to go home. He noticed that that same old man was sort of left at the altar, and he was just praying, and he was crying and weeping uncontrollably. 
And the leaders went up to check on him. He just kept saying the same phrase over and over and over again. I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. Now, there's two sides of this. On the one hand, praise God, here's someone who came to Christ at an old age, but on the other side of that, he realizes that he's been given one life. He's had one chance, and he's got to the end of his life, and time is running out. And Piper said that that image was burned as a boy. It was burned into his mind's eye. I don't want to waste my life. I get one shot. I get one chance to invest in the right things. I don't want to waste it. That's the danger that all of us come to this sermon with. So many of us tend to to waste our lives. Life is quick, and it sort of sneaks up on us. It's like you and I, we need to carefully consider the things that we're going to spend our time on, the the things that we're going to spend our days on, We need to consider those things that will count forever, those things that are eternal investments. But our problem is, as the people of God, we're not often laser-focused on the things that matter. That's our problem. We're distracted. We get distracted by sports. We get distracted by a career. We get distracted by a hobby. And before you know it, poof, life is over. All of us are in danger of that day realizing that we invested in the wrong things. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, I, I don't want any of you to get to that day and stand before the Lord and realize that you wasted your life. I'm so passionate about this. I want, you to, I want you to stand before the Lord, and I want you to hear those, those wonderful, beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? I don't want you to waste your life fighting. I don't want you to waste your life complaining. I don't want you to waste your life on hobbies. I don't want you to waste your life on things that don't matter. So today, if you're just joining us, we want to welcome you to Central Church. (laughs) We're in a series entitled, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. That's quite an introduction, though. Paul is giving us encouragement to keep going. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, I I think this is important for all of us because at some point in life, all of us, every one of us, consider throwing in the towel. Maybe it's with a job, maybe it's with a relationship, maybe it's in marriage, maybe it's in, in some form of your life or ministry, and we've all had that desire. But God has also given us this desire to make our life count. And so far, we've seen three means of endurance, gospel-fueled endurance. In the first week, we looked at a father's influence on a son, a father's voice to a son. Do you remember this? The way that God has allowed us to sort of keep going is that he uses his people to encourage his people. Do you remember that? It's that a father, every one of us needs a Paul, every one of us needs a Timothy, someone to come alongside us, someone that we come alongside, and we sort of encourage them. We whisper into their ear, let's go, let's take the hill, we can do it. And then in week two, we saw that we also need to pick up this unashamed attitude. 
is attitude where I don't care what man thinks about me, I care what God thinks about me. I'm not looking for man's smile of approval, I'm looking for the hidden smile of God, and we need to live without apology. And then last week, we looked at our security, our security, that when you know how secure you are in Christ, you can risk everything for Christ. Say it again. When you know how secure you are in Christ, you can risk everything for Christ. These are the means that keep us going. Today, I want to look at the last, last section of chapter 1, the final way to keep going. This is the whole sermon right here. Don't waste your life. Invest your life. Don't waste your life. Invest your life. I want to help you invest your life in those investments that are forever, eternal. So let's take our Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 13 through 18. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know the service he rendered at Ephesus. In this passage, I want to show you today two things to invest in, two things that would endure forever, two things to use your time, your faculties, your energy, two things to truly invest in that would have an eternal impact. And if you did this, you would not waste your life. So may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's receive it with joy. You may be seated. <laughs> I have this poem that hangs in my office it goes like this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's exactly right. You and I need an eternal perspective on the things that last. And expanding on that, I think the Bible tells us that there's only two things that last forever. Only two things last forever. The first one is the Word of God. Two things in this physical realm, in this life that lasts forever, the Word of God. Isaiah 40 says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord, what is it? Abides forever. That's exactly right. God's Word is eternal. This is a great investment for your life. The second thing that abides forever, the second thing that lasts forever is the human soul. It's a person. It's people. Matthew 25, 26 tells us that the righteous will go on and on and on and on into eternal life. The unrighteous will go on into eternal punishment. The only thing that you and I can take with us into eternity are human souls. It's the investment that we make in other people. So today I want to look at these two worthy investments for the rest of your life. That's the whole sermon, the Word of God and people. Let's look at the Word of God first. Notice two imperative commands for this first point. You and I ought to treasure the Word of God. Verse 13 and verse 14 show that. Two imperatives. The first one is follow the pattern of sound words. 
Follow the pattern of sound words. The second one is in verse 15, guard the good deposit. We're going to look at both of those. The first one is follow sound words. The word follow here, it's the idea that you're to cling to the Word of God. You are to keep these sound words in your grasp. You're to cling to them. As a staff and as elders, we're working through our core values as a church. We're developing a mission statement. We're trying to decide what the core values of Central will be. The first one in all the meetings that we've had, we've had about four meetings so far between staff and elders, and the first one that that we're all sort of in agreement on is that the Bible is central. The Bible is central. We're going to cling to the Word of God. Notice how Paul describes it. He calls it the pattern. Now, what this is, imagine this wall right over here. Imagine that an artist came in and was about to paint a mural on this wall. The word here for the pattern is what an artist would do. He would take a piece of coal, charcoal, he'd sort of sketch the the, uh, outside of the image. He would sketch the people. He would sketch the image. And then what would happen is maybe a less talented artist would come along and they would paint within the lines. That's our word. What he is saying is stay within the lines. Receive the word of God and stay within the lines. I've sketched it. Now don't go outside the lines. In other words, you and I need to care greatly about truth. I'm going to go a little bit further. This may be a little controversial. You need to care about doctrine. You need to care about doctrine. When I said that it made the hair on the back of your neck sort of stand up, because maybe you've been a part of a system that kind of downplays doctrine. Maybe it treats doctrine like a curse word. Churches will even say things. We don't want doctrine. Doctrine just divides, and and I find that upsetting. You know, churches say things like that. I would agree to some point, doctrine does divide. It divides truth from error, right from wrong. Those churches generally, in the name of love, almost anything goes in those churches who take that point of view. But we're called to embrace true doctrine. We're called to embrace staying within the lines. Notice why. He calls these these words, he calls the Word of God sound words. Do you see that in your text, sound words? That's actually a very interesting Greek word. It's the word for health. It's the word for healthy words. It comes from our our word, hygienic. These are hygienic words. These are healthy words. These are words that promote health. It's the same word that was used of Jesus when he healed people. It's healing words. When you neglect healthy words, what will happen is you will inevitably become weak and sick. How many of you caught the Oscars this week? Good. <laughs> no hands went up. Amen. I'm with you. I don't, really, I don't really tune into that. I feel like I'm being shamed by hypocrites to some point or another. I didn't really watch the Oscars either. But I'll tell you what, I, I did see in the news that there was a strange moment when one of the actors got up and sort of shamed America for drinking milk with their coffee and their cereal. Did you, did you hear about this? Very strange. I had an extra amount of milk in my coffee this morning just to be in rebellion. But I kind of had to laugh at that because the, uh, the milk companies got after that actor. They were very upset about this. You know, it reminded me back in around 2002, 2003, there was, that, there was that program, those commercials called Got Milk. How many of you remember those? 
See, that came out of an issue in California when the consumption of milk went down by 3%, and they started this advertising campaign, Got Milk, to bring it back up, and it rose by 7%. We studied it in business school. Very fascinating, fascinating uh, advertising campaign. But I remember one of those commercials that stuck out to me. It was one where there was this family sitting around a breakfast table, and their mom says, kids, be sure to drink all your milk. And the kids complain, I don't want to. Milk is for babies. And the mom says, well, I happen to know that, that milk builds strong bones, so drink up. And then one of the kids points to the neighbor and says, well, Mr. Miller told me he never drinks milk. And look at him. And at that moment, Mr. Miller lifts up on the wheelbarrow and his arms pop off. This is hilarious. It ends with the whole family just guzzling milk. Then those great two words, got milk. And uh, it was a great commercial. And I thought to myself, why don't we have commercials like that at the Super Bowl anymore? Amen? Come on. <laughs> but don't miss the point. 1 Peter 2.2, write it down. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation. What this is saying is that the Word of God, these are vital words. These are words that bring about health and strength and growth. It's vital to your growth. It's vital to you continuing. You ought to treasure the gospel you ought to treasure the scriptures. They're so practical. And I want to just, I just want to say this pastorally to you. It's practical for wherever you're at. If you're facing cancer, you need to be in the Word of God. If you're facing a divorce, you need to be in the Word of God. If you're facing separation, if you're facing a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, this is God's means of grace for endurance. It's the Word of God. Notice how we're to follow in these sound words. Notice it says in verse 13, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Two things to follow in healthy words, faith and love. Faith comes first. In other words, when you open your Bible, when you start to dive into God's word for his strength to carry on, you ought to do it in faith. You ought to believe as you read it that God is doing something in you, that God is changing something in you. That the Word of God will not return void. I love that story of the young preacher who comes to Charles Spurgeon and says, Mr. Spurgeon, when I preach, nobody gets saved. What's wrong? What's the problem? Spurgeon said, when you preach, do you believe that people will get saved? Do you have confidence that, that the God of heaven and earth will be at work to save? The young preacher said, no. I have little faith. Almost no faith that anyone in my church will be saved. Spurgeon said, that's why no one's being saved. And then he quoted this verse, you are not retaining the standard of sound words with faith and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's right. When you and I come to the word of God, we need to enter into it with expectant eyes. When you and I come here on a Sunday morning, you and I need to come here with expectant eyes that God will save someone, that God will change someone, that God will change you, that he'll change our affections. Notice the gospel atmosphere also has love. Our treasuring of the word is supposed to be drenched in, in love. You see, the problem that we face today is that we can often cling 
to doctrine. We can often cling to truth, but we can do it in an unloving way. You can come off looking like a jerk. I knew this guy once, and he was one of those keyboard warriors on Facebook. He would get on Facebook and have all these fights with people and just argue his point. You know the kind of guy he is. And he would come to me, and he would say, hey, pastor, I really got that guy, didn't I? And I said, you know, you may not be heretical in your doctrine, but you have a heresy of spirit. You're not delivering the word in love. That's how we treasure the word. This is a thought for us this morning. Every problem that every church, including Central Church, has ever faced is, goes back to a lack of love. Every single problem. Why do, how can I say that? Well, Colossians 3.14 says that love is the bond of peace. How do we have peace in this place? We love. We hold fast to truth, but we hold fast to truth in love. 2 Timothy 2 tells us that the Lord's servant must be gentle. He must be kind. Let's not forget this element of holding to truth, that we have to do it in love. Notice also we guard, guard the truth from threats. Certainly we follow it. The second imperative is that we guard it. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What he's saying here is that the Word of God will always be under attack and the people of God need to be prepared to guard it. It's been this way from the very beginning. In the garden, Satan came after the Word of God. Remember his line? Has the Lord really said? He calls into question God's Word. That's still happening today. Has God really said that you must repent and be born again? Has God really said that pornography is outside of the lines? Has God really said these things? He's calling into question the truth of God, and we have to guard it. We guard His Word so that we can pass it on to the next generation without error. Notice that guarding requires discernment. Look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do we guard it? By the Holy Spirit's power. Praise God we don't do this alone. Romans 8, 9 says that, that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who helps us discern between truth and between error. Notice something interesting in verse 15. Look in your text. It says in verse 15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. How would you like that? Your name appearing in the eternal Word of God. That's pretty sad. That's, that's pretty tragic. Paul's not ashamed to name names here. Paul is not ashamed to name names. He knows that the role of a shepherd is certainly to feed the sheep, but also to point out areas of danger, to point out dangerous people. Why is he doing this? He does it throughout the letter, doesn't he? Did you notice? I hope you'll take some time this week and you'll read the whole letter from beginning to end. But in every chapter, every single chapter, there's at least two names that are mentioned that he names names. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Every chapter has two names. He names people. Now we sort of look down on this one. It's sort of unpopular. It might even be called out as unloving, but I want to say it's shepherding. 
A good shepherd will mark the dangers to the sheep. That's what Paul is doing. Love points out those people who color outside of the lines. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response. So he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com live to find out more. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's word being sent out, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church. Hi, Pastor Matt here with Moment of Truth. Well, as Memphis begins to reopen, our church is preparing to worship together on June the 7th. We're opening the doors to our building. We're following all the guidelines, trying to be very safe. And we'll have two worship times at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sundays. You can check us out on the web at centralchurch.com. And if you're not ready to come back in person yet, you can still watch online. Just go to our website, centralchurch.com backslash live. You can watch us live every Sunday at 9 and 11. God bless. We hope to see you soon. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.